טוב, פרשת ויקל פקודי, תשע"ז, the topics of משכן ושבת, the tabernacle and Shabbat, sponsored by friends of David Wicks, זיכרונו לברכה in his memory, לעילוי נשמת דוד בן מרדכי שמואל ז"ל. Tonight is also the yurtzeit of my father, זיכרונו לברכה. So I will add his name, Yitzhak ben Chaim Halevi. Okay. The parasha begins, the parasha Vayakel Pekudevi, just to, to remind ourselves, right? There's Truma Tetzaveh, Kitisa, Vayakel Pekudevi. Truma, the parasha of Truma is about Klei HaMishkan, the vessels that were built for the Mishkan, like the Aron Kodesh and the, and the Menorah, right? They were vessels. And then the building of the Mishkan itself, which was done something like a Lego set. You had beams that you put into uh, weighted bases. And somehow that, you know, you had a pole and another pole and another pole. Then you stretch curtains across those poles. And that's what they had instead of walls. Right? That's how the, uh, the Mishkan was made. So all of that is discussed in the parasha of Truma. And the parasha of Titzaveh, the parasha, the second parasha, the parasha Titzaveh is mostly about Bigdei Kahuna, which we discussed. Also in connection with, the, with Esther, uh, because the Bigadim, which in the Torah are called Lechavod and Letiferet, Lechavod or Letiferet, those are like two hard words. I mean, more or less, everybody knows what they mean, but it's hard to be precise about Kavod and Tiferet. Megillat Esther, you know, there's a very strong emphasis on clothing in Megillat Esther. That, uh, we talked about that also this year, about the sack, that the sackcloth that uh, Mordechai wore and why it was that Esther was so unhappy about that turn of events. So, in the parasha of Titzaveh, the emphasis on the clothing, right? The Kohanim, the Kohen Hediot, the regular Kohanim, and the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol had two kinds of sets of clothing, one that he wore on Yom Kippurim, Big Day Lavan, and the others that he wore uh, all year long, what he participated in the Avodah, in the Beit HaMikdash. So that's Truma and Tetzaveh. Now Kitisa, the next, the third of the five parshiyot, Kitisa has in it the, the story of building the Mizbeach Mechoshet, the, the small altar that was built in the Ohel Mo'ed in the Kodesh. Right in that room, there was a menorah, a shulchan, and a mizbeach. And that little mizbeach was used for the ketoret, for the incense that was prepared that went along with certain korbanot, certain of the... So that's kitisa. The, the rest... So, so it's interesting that at the beginning of kitisa, there are two kalim that are mentioned, two uh, objects that should have been mentioned in the parasha of Truma, but they, they were left out and they were included in Kitisa, and they are the Mizbeach Nechoshet, the small Mizbeach, and the Kior. The Kior, which is always translated as a laver. I don't know what a laver is. I, th- I think it's like a... Um, what do they call those things you serve soup in? Terrain. A terrine, right. A soup. Bowl. What? A big bowl. Yeah, like a terrine. So the, the, um, the kior, the kior of, of, of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu's kior, was not such a big deal and it had two spouts in it, right? The Kohanim would somehow wash them, themselves. I don't know how many... Kohanim actually participated in the Avodah at any particular time in the desert. But in the desert, all the Kohanim were there. 
it was only later on when the Beit HaMikdash was built by Shlomo HaMelech and the Kohanim lived all over the place that there was some kind of a, a problem about Kohanim doing the service in the Beit HaMikdash and that's when they invented they invented 24 groups they, they divided the Kohanim into 24 groups and each group did a week and then another week that made 50 58, right? I mean, I guess you get a few more in, yes. on holidays and things like that. So they, they, all of the Kohanim had a, a, were in a group. Each Kohen was in a group, and each group knew when it was supposed to do service in the, in the Beit HaMikdash. But in the desert, all the Kohanim were there. They were all camped around the, the Mishkan, so they, they didn't have a problem they didn't have a problem getting uh, getting Kohanim, and the avoda was probably a lot more abbreviated. But I want to get into I want to get into that. So, kitisa kitisa begins with the utensils that were left out, right? The mizbech and the choshet and the kior, and then continues with a long and very explicit rendition of the Chet HaEgel. And in spite of the fact that the Torah is very explicit about the Chet HaEgel, very explicit about it, uh, since it, it just didn't make any sense to take it at face value. It, it didn't make so much... Well, I, I don't mean that. What do I mean is that taking it at face value was very distressing, I think, for for the commentators. It was to say that B'nai Yisrael are getting the Torah and doing idolatry at the same time seemed to be very difficult for many commentaries, including the Rambam and including the Rambam. <coughs> and in spite of the fact that the Torah says, the Torah says explicitly that you, B'nai Yisrael, are going to continue to be punished for the Echeta Egel forever, in spite of that fact, in spite of that, the Rishonim insisted it wasn't really Avodah Zorah. It wasn't really, really. Because, as I said, it's very hard to accommodate the idea that B'nai Yisrael is standing at Har Sinai, receiving the Torah. And according to Chazal, they only heard two Dibrot. Right? Two Dibrot. The first Dibar, as they say in Hebrew today, the first Dibar, was Anochi Hashem Elokecho, right? That's the first Dibar. The second Dibar is Lotis Hashem Hashem Elokecho Lashav. Right? Anochi Hashem. That's all they heard. All they heard was that there's one God. They didn't hear anything else. Uh, maybe at the end of the day, Moshe Rabbeinu came down and taught them the, end the rest of the Ten Commandments. But at that very moment, they decided, they decided to to get involved with Avodah Zorah, with real idolatry. So that's, that's like a little bit difficult, but Kitisa, Kitisa, the parish of Kitisa is about those two Kalim in the beginning, the Mizbech Lechoshet and the Kior, and then the rest of the parasha, the rest of the parasha is about Chet uh, uh, HaEgel, about Chet HaEgel. And then, Amazingly, the Torah in the last two parashiyot, the parashiyot of this, this Shabbat, the coming Shabbat, tells the whole thing, the whole thing about building the Mishkan over again, but reverses itself. The parasha of Ayakel, the parasha of Ayakel is more about building, uh, the building of it. And the parasha of Pekude is more like the, the vessels in it. Uh, the opposite of Truman Tetzava, but the content of Truman Tetzava is the same. Avayako Pekunde is the same as Truman Tetzava. And this I often, I would say, you can prove to yourself that this is, that there's nothing new in these parashiyot, because if you take a Chumash and you look at it, you'll see there's no Rashi. And uh, so that's a blessing of sorts. But the reason that there is no Rashi is because he said it all already in the first two parashiyot. So you have Truma Tetzaveh, Kitisa, 
and Vayakal Pekudi. So, of course, the repetition is a question, and the order is a question, why the Torah switches around the order, and what is the difference between Truma and Tetzava and Vayakal Pekudi. All of those things are reasonable questions, but that's not the question we're going to deal with now. Vayakhel Moshe, the first pasuk in the first of the two parshiyot for this Shabbat. Vayakhel Moshe, right? He brought people together. He brought people together at Kol Adat Bnei Yisrael, right? Aida, Ada, a group, a community, but it must mean something. Vayoma Alehem, and he said to them, these are the things that God has commanded you to do. Okay, so uh, okay, Rashi says Moshe. You see Rashi? We know that Moshe Rabbeinu, the dating of it is not obvious, but the, the tradition is that Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai on the 10th day of Tishrei. And even though the 10th day of Tishrei was probably not yet Yom Kippurim, because no one had learned that halacha yet. I mean, the Torah of Yom Kippurim had not been given to Bnei Israel, as far as we can imagine. But the day was Yom HaKippurim. That's what Rashi means. It, 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 even though no one fasted, it was Yom HaKippurim. So we know that Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai and Vav Sivan, and he stayed for 40 days, and then he came down to find the, uh, the, the Chet of Ha'egel, uh, and he stayed for 40 days, mopped up the situation. Then he went up on Rosh Chodesh Elul, went up on the mountain again to get the second Luchot. The first Luchot were broken by this time. So he went to get the second Luchot. He stayed in Har Sinai again for 40 days and 40 nights. Right, so that from Rosh Chodesh Elul, if you count 40 days, you get to Yud Tishrei. And that's Yom HaKippurim, that's what Rashi says. This was the day after Yom Kippurim, Shiarad Minahar, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain. Uh, for those of you who remember being in Ulpan, you know that, that uh, Hebrew verbs are organized in certain kinds of patterns called binyanim. And generally, binyanim have a general kind of meaning. Like, they don't tell you exactly what the word means, but they have some sort of general meaning. Like, uh, the first binyan that you learn is, is called, usually called kal. And that means like a simple act. We're talking about verbs, right? The simple act. Safarti, uh, safarta, safarti, right? I counted. Simple. And then the second binyan that you learn is usually called uh, pl. Right? Pl means. All of these things are not correct. Everything I'm saying is not correct, but I'm saying it anyway, because it's convenient. So peel is usually called intense. So you can't count intensively, but you can beat up on people intensively. So that, uh, uh, that beating would be a more intensive form, using a more intensive form of the verb, and the intensive form of the verb is, um, has a dagesh chazak in ayin hapoa. Is that, that like Chinese? Dagesh chazak? Dagesh chazak, what? Ken. I just, the Ayin Hapol, you know, in Hebrew, uh, the Arabs started this, and we adopted it, that it was convenient to think about words as being built around an element, which is called a Shoresh. Now, you understand, of course, that a Shoresh, there's no Shoresh that doesn't exist. It's just like in our imagination, we imagine a Shoresh. 
but there's no shurish. You can't talk to people using shurish. You have to have a, you have to vocalize it somehow. You have to make a word out of it. But it was convenient to talk about a shurish. So the 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 first binyanim akal and pl, but later on there are these kind of forms which are I did it to you. So I did it to you is hifield, right? Hilbish. I he dressed him, right? That's hifield. So Rashi says that the word vayakhel is. Uh, Moshe did it to them. Moshe spoke and they came. It's interesting because Moshe Rabbeinu spoke his entire life to Bnei Yisrael and taught them. And it always says, Daber el bnei Yisrael. Here it says vayakel, and Rashi says Moshe Rabbeinu did it to them. He did something. He got them to come. Sheino osef anashim biyadayim elahen nisafim al pidiburo. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to cause this collection to take place by talking. He he was influential. He had charisma. He was able to bring them all together. V'tirgumo v'achnash. Achnash, and the reason Rashi says that, why Rashi quotes the tirgum. Tirgum is the Aramaic translation above unculus, unculus in of the Torah. So why does Rashi quote it? Why does Rashi quote it? Because achnash is the hifil form in Aramaic. So it validates Rashi. Linguistically, validates Rashi. You know that Rashi was interested in language, in words, in the meaning of words, and in grammar. He was very interested in grammar, and he knew a lot of a lot about grammar. How he knew that Vesichmet, I don't know, because there was a tradition of grammarians in Spain, a little bit in France, but Rashi was basically a product of the yeshivot of his age. Spear and Magenza, Mayans. He went to those yeshivas. So where he learned all this stuff about language, I don't know. <coughs> maybe, maybe he was like a good learner. Could be. In any event, in any event, we get to Pasuk Bet, which is the Pasuk that interests us. Shabbat Shabbaton Lashem Kolosev Omulacha Yumat. So we know what the words mean. Sheshet Yamim Te'aseh. Te'aseh is a nifal form. In other words, it's, it, 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 it doesn't matter. It's very hard to explain words according to the binyan. It doesn't really work. And there's no reason to do it. But it is a certain pattern, and that pattern is called nifal. So the, the Pasuk says, it will be done. Like, like they used to like to call it passive. You know, something happens to you, right? Like passive was a big word in, in grammar. I think it's uh, evacuated. Uh, so that's te'ase melacha. What's melacha? It's one of the great mysteries. Yeah, well, well, but we're talking about Six days as opposed to the seventh day. So lachem. The pasuk says kodesh. It doesn't say yelachem beli melacha. In other words, there's a there's a contrast in the pasuk between melacha, which is what you do six days of the of the of the week, and kodesh, which is what you do on Shabbat. And it says Shabbat Shabbaton, Shabbat Shabbaton. What is Shabbat Shabbaton? In Hebrew it's called Lashon Nofel Alashon, which is a very nice way of saying you have an extra word. In other words, there's no difference between Shabbat Shabbaton and Shabbat. Whatever Shabbat means, Shabbat Shabbaton means the same thing. But in the Torah, in the Torah, also in Tanakh, but in the Torah, it's very common for this reduplicated form to exist. 
But it's very hard to know what it means. For example, mot yumat. I mean, you can only be dead. You can't be very dead. Sakol uh, sakel, Very stoned. And not in the drunk manner, right? Well, what does that mean? What's sakol yisakel? What's the difference between yisakel and sakol yisakel? Is there a difference? What's the difference between yumat and mot yumat? Very hard to know. Very hard to know. I mean, sometimes the Chazal make drashot about these reduplications, but not always. So here, in this, uh, in this case, Shabbat Shabbaton, there is, a, a, of course, an opinion that Shabbat Shabbaton and some other pasuk is about Yom Kippurim. Like it's very Shabbos, Yom Kippurim, because not only don't you do all the things that you don't do on Shabbos, but you add on a few. So that could be Shabbat Shabbaton about Yom Kippur, but here we're talking about Shabbat, the seventh day of the week. Kolo Sebom Yumat. Kolo sebom yumat. Rashi. Sheshit yamim. Sheshit yamim. Ekdim lehem azharat shabbat. Tzibili melechet amishkan. So what does Rashi say? That you have trumat, itzavah, kitisah, vayakhele, vayakhele. When the, just when, when the Torah is getting ready to tell you, the Torah is getting ready to tell you about the mishkan, it sticks in something about Shabbat. Why? What's Shabbat got to do with the Mishkan? In particular, I mean, there are many things that the Mishkan has to do with, with the Shabbat, but why is this great announcement made in the beginning of Ayakel? So Rashi says, Lomar Sheina Dochad Shabbat. Lomar, there's a famous Rashi, everybody thinks about it, that what's not Dochad Shabbat? Building the Mishkan. Building the Mishkan. In other words, in other words, people thought, people might have thought that you could build a Mishkan, you could build a Mishkan, and if you have to finish it, I mean, you're only going to build it once, why shouldn't you build the Mishkan on Shabbat as well? I mean, how many, how long does it take? As long as it takes to build the Mishkan, you'll do the work on Shabbat as well. So here, here uh, the Pshat and Rashi is that you don't build the Mishkan you don't build a Mishkan on Shabbat. You don't build, build a Mishkan on Shabbat, which brings us to the question of Shabbat. It brings us to the question of, of Shabbat. Now, why exactly do we keep Shabbat? Why exactly? Okay, because the Torah tells us to do so. But the Torah tells us to do so for a reason. Right? What is, there's something about our appreciation of reality that is buttressed by Shabbat. And that appreciation of reality is Sheha'olam Mechudash. That's what we say on Shabbat. We say that God created the world. That's Shabbat. Because we know that when God created the world, the creation went on for seven days. Every day, some, for six days, something was created on each of the six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Seventh day, God rested. And therefore, by maintaining Shabbat, by maintaining Shabbat, <coughs> we say that we know that the world was created and didn't simply exist forever. Uh, that's, what we, that's what we say. The Rishonim, both the Rambam and the Rambam, had this problem. They wanted to know, how do we know that the world was created? We. In other words, we know that the Torah says that the world was created. Okay? You could say that, you could say the world says the world is created, and therefore I don't have to know anything more. However, however, if you wanted to know, you wanted to have a proof that the world was created, so what would the proof be? So we mentioned it, I mentioned it in the past, right? You know that when you say Kiddush on Friday night, when you say Kiddush on Friday night, everybody 
either says Kiddush or hears Kiddush. So when you say Kiddush on Friday night, you say, Zecher liitziat Mitzrayim. Zecher lemasei bereshi. Those are the two Zechers that you say in the Kiddush on Friday night. So if it's true that Kiddush is an announcement about Shabbat, what does Zecher liitziat Mitzrayim have to do with Shabbat, pray. Now this is not my question. All the Rishonim asked this question. Why did Chazal direct us to say Zecher liyitziat Mitzrayim when we make Kiddush on Friday night? Because the Ramban says in several places, including that famous Ramban at the end of Parashat Bo, right, the Ramban says, The Rabban says, Yitziat Mitzrayim proves that God can do in the world whatever God wills to do in the world. And that power reflects the creation. Whereas it's because God created the world that God could do anything in the world. So we say, even though I wasn't there when God created the world, and even though I really don't know that Shabbat was on the seventh day of creation, I do know, I do know that God took us out of Mitzrayim. And since God took us out of Mitzrayim, there's no doubt that God is in charge of the world that we live in. And since God is in charge of the world that we live in, that in charge could only have come from creation, from the fact that God created the world. So that saying Zecher Siat Mitzrayim is somehow an affirmation of the fact that there was Shabbat and that we have to, uh, uh, we have to kind of do it. We have to do Shabbat. <coughs> what do we do on Shabbat? What is it that we do on, on Shabbat? Well, we we imitate rest by not doing melachot. Not melacha, melacha could mean anything. But we have very specific attachment to the word melacha, and we know that there are 39 uh, categories of melacha that we don't do on, on Shabbat. And we also know that those 39 categories of melachot are the melachot that were done by the, in the Mishkan. And that means that when the Torah says, when Rashi says, when Rashi says, you can't do, you can't build the Mishkan on Shabbat. You can't build the Mishkan because that would deny the essence of Shabbat, which is a reflection of the Mishkan. It's the opposite. It's everything we do in the Mishkan we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. Everything we do in the Mishkan, we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. So there's this intensive connection between the Mishkan and Shabbat. So that's one thing that Rashi, that's what Rashi is saying, right? There's a connection between the Mishkan and Shabbat. <coughs> and that connection, that connection can, cannot be violated by building the Mishkan. I mean, you have to understand all these things they did on Shabbat in the Mishkan. But they couldn't build the Mishkan on Shabbat because building the Mishkan on Shabbat was Melacha. It wasn't, it wasn't the Avoda of the Mishkan. It was just doing things, and doing things was Asur. So, for example, you remember, we're not, we don't write on, on Shabbos. We don't, like with a pencil, we don't write. Now, in the Mishkan, in the Mishkan, these beams, the upper beams, were put into foundations. And when they took it apart, they had to figure out a way to remember which beam went into which foundation stone. So they wrote an aleph and an aleph. And then a bait and a bait. And that writing, that writing which we are enjoined from doing, comes from what they did in the, in the Mishkan. That's one thing. So, so, uh, uh, so we do that. 
But what does that really have to do with Shabbos? What does it have to do with what happened at the, at Bre, in Briat HaOlam? What does it have to do with God creating the world? God created the world. We can't imitate that. And then God rested, and we can't imitate that. So, so it, brings us, it brings us back to the end of Parashat Bishalach. Right, you remember the first parashiyot in Shmot, Shmot v'erebo b'shalach Yisrael mishpatim, right? Shmot v'erebo b'shalach Yisrael mishpatim, six parashiyot, right? Before Trumet Tzavak Yitisa, six parashiyot. Shmot v'erebo b'shalach, the end of b'shalach, b'shalach they got out of Mitzrayim. The end of b'shalach is the parasha of the man. The parasha of the man. What's the par- what does the parish of the man say? The parish of the man, the parish of the man says that you could only eat, you could only take to eat the amount of man that you need. If you have four people in your house, so you can take four times whatever that amount is, right? Four times. What happens if you take more? Okay. It goes bad. It goes bad and becomes unedible except on Friday. On Friday, on Friday, you can take twice as much for each person, have it for Friday and for Shabbos. That's the story of the man. And that's the story of Shabbos until this very day. Right, every day, every day we cook and then we eat. But on Friday, well we cook and we eat on Friday for Friday, but we also cook and we eat on Friday, not eat, we cook on Friday for Shabbos. And that goes back to the man. So, again, the parasha, Perik base in Breshit, says, Vayavarech, God gave bracha, v'yikadesh, and sanctified. Bracha and sanctification for Shabbos, right? That's, that's what it says in Breshit. And what does Rashi say? I didn't put on the sheet because you should all know it by Peh. Rashi says, Very good. Nothing like a good Jewish education. He says, What does man have to do with the story in Breshit? There was no man in Breshit. There's no man when God created the world. But Rashi says, Rashi says, Vayavarech, what's the bracha? What's the bracha that you had in the world when God gets finished with creating the world? Oh, God thought about the man. What's the bracha in the man? That you get twice as much on Friday. That's called bracha. You get more than you need. I mean, you need it at Shabbos, but you don't need it at that moment. That's called bracha. It's like overflowing. Berchobamah. What does Kitshobaman mean? You can't, you can't do anything with it. You can't change it. You can't adapt it. it. It is what it is. If you use the man to make cholent, you have cholent with man, but you can't cook it on Shabbos. You can't make it on Shabbos, right? That was, that was a, a, a long-standing argument with the, uh, with the Karaites. Have you ever met a Karaite? You could still do that, you know, if you have like a, if you have acquisitive nature, you could like meet a Karat and you could uh, uh, talk to them about how they do it. They don't cook on Shabbos. For them it's very simple. It says in the Pesach here, our, in our parasha, that we're just learning, Lo tevaru And simpletons as they are, they said, imagine what they, what they said. They said it means, don't light a fire. Well, what, a, what an odd shot of a pasuk of the Torah. So they don't light a fire. They don't light a fire. They can't make cholent. So Rav Sadiqod said, if you don't eat cholent on Shabbos, we suspect your pedigree. Pedigree is a word, isn't it? Like pedigree. Oh, it's only for animals. <laughs> pedigree. If you don't eat cholent on Shabbos, then you're under suspicion, right? We get the, the gang after you. 
because you might be a Karite. You might be a Karite because Karites insist that the Torah doesn't want you to cook anything on Shabbos. And the tricky way that we do it, right, which is like a little bit of a trick, what we do is we cook, well, that itself is a problem. We sort of cook it before Shabbos, and then we let it simmer, right, or, or keep cooking, or if it's cooked already. Okay. But it doesn't mean it's not cooking. No, uh, it, what? The what? I'm sorry. You put everything raw just before Shabbos. No. And you can't eat on Friday nights. You mean the Litvaks? You can do that. Not the Hasidim. Hasidim cook it all the way. All the way. Only Litvaks. The, and, and you, in Europe, uh, in Europe uh, couples were divorced on that basis. Supposedly there was an agreement, you know, she would do it this way and he would be happy and didn't work out. They got, it was the choked divorce cases. <laughs> this was very serious. We've overcome that because we figured worse we're going to eat. So, uh, so, uh, Berchobaman means HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to keep Shabbos. Wanted that. Because it says in the Aserah Sadibras, it says, keep Shabbos. Shemor Elohim HaShabbat Lekatsho. This is the Aserah Sadibras. So we said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we said, Baruch Hu, what are we supposed to do? How are you supposed to keep, how are you supposed to keep Shabbos? But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, man, the if you do the man as I have instructed, then you are keeping Shabbos. Okay, there are certain enhancements and developments, but basically what we do, the most important thing that we do, which is not to cook, comes from man, or to prepare food for Shabbos on Friday. That comes from man. I, mean, I know that there are certain things you can do and other things you can't do, and it's all very tricky, Right, it's all very tricky and it's very good that we have children and we send to school or come home and tell us that we can't do this or we can't do that. And that's, that's wonderful. It's, called, it's, a, it's an educational system that no one has ever thought of before, that the children wipe out the ignorance of their parents. I mean, the children always think that they wipe out the ignorance of their parents. But <coughs> this is a more permanent kind of wiping out. So that's what, that's what uh, the, the connection between Shabbos and Mishkan that we still are missing. There's a halachic connection, but there's also got to be a more ideological connection. So I want to read another pasuk. Here it says in Shmos Perik of Dalit, Vayal Moshe Lahar, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to the mountain and the cloud representing the presence of God, right? That's kavod. The word kavod, the word anan, they represent the presence of God. So the Pesach says that in Matan Torah, in Moshe Rabbeinu stay on the mountain, right? There was a Shabbos. There was a Shabbos. I don't know what day of the week is, it doesn't matter. But Sheshet Yamim, right? So that Shabbos is the closest day between, the closest day that man and God have. Right? They are, they're in the Yom HaShvi'i. This is the end of Mishpatim. Moshe Rabbeinu is up on Har Sinai, and somehow Shabbos is involved in the relationship between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hakodesh Bochu. Rashi. There's a machloket about. This is the, uh, these are those six days, 
Right? That's what this would Rashi thought. Shabi Rosh Chodesh Hadatzeret Yom Matan Torah. Right? In other words, even though we say uh, we say the Matan Torah was on Betz Vav Sivan, right? The sixth day, Shavuos is always the sixth day of Sivan, and Rosh Chodesh was the first day of Sivan, right? I mean, sorry, the first day of Sivan was when they they all came to Har Sinai. God wanted to tell Moshe Rabbeinu the Ten Commandments. Moshe Yisrael Omdim. They were all standing there. Kavod even though they were all standing there, the Pasuk says, Moshe Anybody who wants to go, I mean, the second opinion in Rashi says that it was from the time of Asarita they brought another six days with Moshe Rabbeinu came down and went up again on the mountain for the first, first of the 40 days. So that Matan Torah, Matan Torah includes Shabbat. That's what, that's what the Pesach said. You have to have a Shabbat in order to get the Torah. Either the Shabbat, the sixth day and the seventh day, or the days before Aseret Adibrot, or they're the sixth and seventh days after Aseret Adibrot. Both are, both are possible. Well, the possible, but you'll always have Shabbat. You always have Shabbat. That's what the that's what the pasuk says. Then, again, Vasuli Mikdash Rishachanti Bitocham. That famous pasuk, Vasuli Mikdash Rishachanti Bitocham. This is an amazing pasuk, right? But what's pshat? What would you say? I'm trying not to be too annoying. A little annoying. Vasuli Mikdash Vishakhati Bitokhab. What is that what does that mean? What does that mean? It means it means what is the Mikdash? What is the Mikdash? It's a makom, which is distinguished from every other makom. Because even though you could say God is everywhere, I mean we won't try to argue that question. Let's say God is everywhere. But the Mishkan says that God is more there than any place else. Though what does the Pesach say? That, that the world, the world is the place of God. But in that world, there is not yet a special place for God. So that the creation of the special place for God is given over to B'nai Yisrael. Vasuli Mikdash Rishachati Bitocham. And that Vasuli Mikdash Rishachati Bitocham, where did they get the koach to do that? Where did they get the hubris to be the creators of a place that God can dwell in? Because they received the Torah face to face from God. They, 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 went through, they went through a remarkable experience. So you have another connection between the Mishkan and the and the Torah and Shabbos, right? The Mishkan and the Torah and Shabbos. You have to have Shabbos in order to understand the experience at Matan Torah. Is what is, <coughs> what does the Pesach say? Right? What gives them the ability to the confrontation that all of B'nai Israel had, according to Rashi, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Har Sinai. They were kind of, they were, they became new people. They became, had new powers, new kochot that no one had ever imagined that they could have. So that there was this connection between Shabbat and, uh, uh, and uh, Mishkan and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? So Shabbat and Mishkan have that, have that connection. And then it says, Rashi says, Rashi, Rashi, 
ככל אשר אני מראה אותך כאן את תבנית המשכן, I'm showing you the form of the משכן, המקרא הזה מחובר למקרא של מעלה אימנו, ועשו לי מקדש ככל אני מראה אותך. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What is the משכן? What is the Mishkan? So what, the, what, the, what Rashi is saying, I think, is that even if I give you the plans, even if I, if I give you the measurements of the various Kalim, right? If I give you the measurements of the various Kalim, like the Aron, it's a meter, a meter, right? It, it, was, it says it in the Torah. I'm still not going to know exactly what it looks like. I'm going to have to get artisans to kind of formulate it because... Look, we have even a machloka today about the menorah, right? You notice that the Lubavitcher menorahs that you see all over the city are all triangular. So why are they triangular? Because there's a ksaviyad of the parish of the Mishnah, of the Rambam. There's a, a manuscript in which the figure of the menorah is drawn as triangular. Now that picture either is the Rambam or it's somebody who was making pictures for the Rambam, or it's done, some know-nothing made it, and, and we should ignore it. So you have a choice. You have a choice, but we don't know. Today there's, there's a certain suffix. Is it triangular? Is it round? Right? We don't know. So, so uh, the building of the Kalim in the Mishkan, and the building of the Mishkan demanded different levels of enterprise, right? You needed people to be schleppers. They had to bring the stuff. Then you needed Bitzalel and Oliav, who had expertise of sort. You know, they were, and then they were Chachmeleiv. You know, people who had uh, artistic uh, inclinations, who were able to do, to take the raw material and make something really nice, really nice from, from all of that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is the pasuk. There was a picture book. In other words, the building of the Mishkan was real Torah. Because real Torah is the interpretation that God leads you to when you are learning Torah. That's what, real, that's what real Torah is. I mean, because you could, you could make a mistake. You could learn Torah and come out, come out wrong. That's why we think that learning Torah is a spiritual adventure. <laughs> right? That's what learning Torah is. Because you, you, have to be, you have to feel that somehow you're in sync with the Rebbein Shalom. That, that's what learning Torah is about. It's not only about learning stuff. It is about learning stuff. I mean, you know, we need... We need professionals. We need Dayanim, we need Rabbanim. Maybe, considering the recent uh, articles about Rabbanim, maybe we could do without them. But, but in theory, we need Rabbanim and Dayanim and, and, and Clay Kodesh, and, and that all is about expertise. You have to learn something. You have to know how to do something. But beyond that, we always think that learning Torah is a value. It changes, it changes your life. So, it doesn't just take up time. It doesn't just keep you from going to bad places or places you shouldn't go to. That's, that's not what Talmud Torah is. But Talmud Torah is a spiritual adventure. And a spiritual adventure means that you have to get it right. How did they get it right with the Mishkan? Well, it says in the Pasuk, Asher Anima Eotcha. Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end, he said to the Rebbein Islam, How am I doing? And HaKadosh Baruch showed him a, a picture from the Machona Mikdash, probably. You know, like, here's the, here's the disc. Here's the disc with the... And this is what it looks like. So it's the Mishkan. The Mishkan was not only the place that Moshe Rabbeinu learned Torah and taught B'nai Yisrael the Torah that he learned, but the Mishkan was also the ultimate experience of Talmud Torah. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, people came and they said, here, we did it. How is it? And then HaKadosh Baruch showed them a big picture in the sky. Right? And, and, uh, and that was it. That was how they knew that the finish or the way they, they should 
finalize things was in accord with what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said and it says ta'asu. this is what you should do right so Rashi says all of the pictures sort of of these vessels v'shel binyanim her'alo mamash HaKadosh Baruch Hu you know, it, was, it wasn't enough the words and the expertise and B'Tzalel and Oliav and the Chachmeleiv. It wasn't enough. And then the Nashim Tavot, right? All the women came and they did what they knew how to do. Kimoshim Asinu B'Yecheskel B'Binyan Beit HaMikdash Sher'u B'Bavel Marot Elokim Right? So he quotes, Rashi says that for Bayit Shlichi, right, the third Beit HaMikdash, which is described by Yechezkel in the book of Yechezkel. God came to Yechezkel and showed him how it should look. How it should look. So that part of the Mishkan, even though there was no Beit HaMikdash at the time of Yechezkel, right? but there was going to be one. And so Yechezkel describes the Beit HaMikdash that will be built at great, at great length. And he says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed me this or showed me that so you see that the Beit HaMikdash is connected to Talmud Torah <coughs> and furthermore uh, this Pasuk here the bottom of the page right just the, you do as it should it's another Binyan there's a rare Binyan in Hebrew called Hofal, which is the passive of Hifil, right? Just to remember that the annoyance of grammar just follows you around. You can't help it. So, so it says it. Does it say it? Akimota et mishkan. Put up the mishkan. Kimishpato as it should be. Asher eta bahar, which you was shown on the mountain of Sinai, so that the building of the Mishkan is the ultimate kind of Torah experience. It's not just about the rules of it, or the planning of it, or the artistry of it, but it's also about getting as close to God's intention as is possible. And the way that happened was pictures. The picture of the of of the uh, okay now we look at the uh, at the end the last the last source they built a courtyard around the Mishkan right the Mizbeach is where they gave the Korban note talking about the big Mizbeach <coughs> here here is the here's the Mishkan. The Mishkan is the building. The, is the built is a building, right? Which is divided into two parts, two with a curtain, two thirds and one third. The, the one third is the Aron Kodesh, right? And the two thirds has the Shulchan, the Menorah, and the Mizbeach Hazahav. Yes, all of that in the one third. Now, when you go outside of this building, the first thing you meet is the Kiyor. And after the kiyor is the big mizbeah. Big because you could actually walk around on the top of the mizbeah. And there was a kebis, a ramp, that the kohanim used to get to the mizbeah. Right? There was this ramp. So the pasuk says, Here's the mishkan. Here's the chatzer going around the mishkan. Right? Uh, of course, is this Mizbeach, the big Mizbeach. Mishkan Mizbeach. Right? And Moshe Abenu put up all the curtains and he finished. He finished doing what had to be done. The last Pasuk in the parasha, Vayechasa Ananad Ol the the Anan, Anan, which represents God in this case, 
וכבוד השם, כבוד השם is some manifestation of God's presence, מלא את המשכן, filled the משכן. And when the כבוד השם was in the משכן, no one else could go in. You couldn't go into the משכן when the כבוד השם was in the משכן, but then when it went up, it went up on top of the משכן, that was a signal for Moshe Rabbeinu to go in and learn the next, and learn the next parasha. Kod Hashem Alei HaMishkan The Ramban Look at the Ramban Ki Tochom Alei HaKavod It's filled with Kavod Ki HaKavod Shochein B'Toch HaAnan Toch HaMishkan Ki Inyan Shenemar Bahar Sinai Al El HaArafel Asher Sham HaElokim V'Amar Ki Lo Yechol Moshe Lavo Al Ol Moed Afilu El HaPetach not even Moshe Rabbeinu could go into the Mishkan because the oil was because it was filled with the Anan. So that's that's what happened. So you see, you see that uh, that there's this religious drive that people have. People have, based on, I think, what the Torah wants of us, to uh, uh, find a way, find a way to appreciate the presence of God in the world. And that's connected to our understanding of Shabbat, which we celebrate because we recognize God's presence in the world, Zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim. That's what it's about. And that fortifies us and gives us the possibility of building a mishkan. A mishkan is a place where there's a heightened sense of the presence of God and that sense, that heightened sense of the presence of God is something within us. Within us. And that's why I think the kotel is attractive. Because even though it doesn't really have much halachic significance other than the fact that maybe you shouldn't go there. I mean, according to some, you know, that's a halachic question. But, uh, but certainly people feel, people feel that there's something special. It's not like every place else. And even if it doesn't work for me at this moment, you know, even though I can't, don't get the special, but I might get it. I mean, it's, no, it's not a guarantee. It's not like you build a Mishkan. If I'm Yisrael able to build a Mishkan, so it means that every child who ever goes into the Mishkan is going to be overwhelmed by the presence of God. I don't think that that's what it, what it means. I think what it means is that you have an opportunity. And if you combine, if you combine Shabbos with building the Mishkan, with Asher Har Eita Bahar, what Moshe Rabbeinu saw the, on the mountain, with the idea of Talmud Torah, that Talmud Torah somehow is able to replace other forms of, uh, of spirituality, that, uh, and that's probably what kept us going as a, as a nation. I mean, the, the, the only thing that we have that I can see, you know, I mean, everybody, you can see whatever you want, maybe pumpernickel bread is, uh, but the only thing that we have that is worth uh, being Jewish about is Torah. I mean, that's what we have. That's what we did. That's what, that's what we inherit. There isn't anything, there isn't anything else. We're not, you know, we're not involved in philosophy, we're not involved in history. I mean, today, Jews are involved in everything, yes. But the Jewish people, the enterprise of the Jewish people seems to be Talmud Torah. And Talmud Torah leading to the experiential opportunity within uh, uh, Talmud Torah. And just like the Mishkan, as the Ramban says, and Rabbeinu Bechaya said, the Mishkan was the attempt to keep Har Sinai with us. Right? To always be, a, to always have that option, so to speak. Here's Har Sinai right in the middle of our camp. We're all camped around around the, the Mishkan and, and we've got Har Sinai with us. Which, according to Rabbi Mechayim, that's the reason. That's the reason that uh, uh, Har Sinai is is of no interest in the in our tradition. I mean, nobody goes and makes 
a tour, you know, like uh, there are no uh, there are no Haredi tours to Har Sinai. I mean, as far as I know, because Har Sinai doesn't really exist. <coughs> it existed for Matan Torah, but then they took it with them. They took Har Sinai with them. So why would you go to Har Sinai if you can go to the Mishkan or you can go to the Beit Hamikdash? I mean. It's sort of like uh, spiritually an irrelevancy. I mean, historically, it might be interesting. I'm not, uh, I'm nothing to say about that. So that these three fulcrums, right, this idea that there's Shabbos, and that we know that God created the world, and we know that there could be a Mishkan, and we know that the, the, the Mishkan, this idea, the Mishkan, the Mikdash, was replaced at least in, in the interim period by Talmud Torah. I mean, Talmud Torah is what, what we have. That's the opportunity for, uh, for some kind of special feeling that you might have about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and your relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay. Okay. Okay.